this morning I begin a uh, series of messages uh, on a powerful word, how your Bible changes everything. My next message will uh, begin uh, with the pastoral epistles, but this morning I wanted us to look at Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55. Uh, happy Mother's Day to you. Uh, Mother's Day always reminds me of what young, one uh, young man said uh, that was in one church that I served. Uh, he said, uh, Happy Mother's Day to all moms and congratulations on not killing us. And he said that out of personal experience. There were many causes for his mother to absolutely ruin his life. And in fact, I texted him this morning and told him I was going to quote him. Uh, one day when I get the opportunity, I'll tell you the story of how Jonathan tried to kill him one day. But that's, um, that's a different story for a different day. But uh, with that, uh, as we think about the powerful word and many of the words that will be shared with moms and others today, uh, I came across some research recently that uh, made it clear that we hear about 100, or we encounter about 100,000 words every day. We read them, we hear them, we somehow come across about 100,000 words a day. Can you imagine one human being coming across 100,000 of anything in a day? A hundred thousand words, and it made me wonder, well, just how many of those words are worth hearing and encountering? There is so much that is said, the world might actually be better off a little bit just by everyone going silent for 10 minutes, you know? It may help in many ways, but there's been a multiplication of words, and have you noticed that especially in social media, people think they've got something worth saying? Isn't that remarkable? When I was younger, we didn't think that. We didn't think that at all. Uh, we were a bit more reticent and hesitant and modest about our opinion. We were afraid of saying something, saying something wrong, and being made fun of or embarrassing ourselves. That is completely gone today. And uh, social media is a big, big part of it. In fact, there are a lot of people wounded just about every day, especially public leaders, uh, because some people feel like they've got something worth saying. And there's simply no filter that is there. The remarkable thing is, is that as we turn to the Word of God, we are encountering words that are worth hearing and reading, every one of them. The Bible teaches it's verbally inspired. We call that plenary verbal inspiration. Plenary, excuse me, all verbal, even the words are inspired. In fact, Jesus based the doctrine of resurrection on, in Matthew 22 on the tense of a verb. So the tenses of the verbs are inspired in the scripture. The Bible is God's word and therefore is a powerful word. Now I want you to look with me in Isaiah 55 by way of introduction at a couple of things that God indicates in his word about those that are outside his grace, about sinners. And this is incredibly good news. In fact, I have come across a number of sermons in the last couple of weeks on Isaiah 55 and many of them are entitled Isaiah's Gospel. And you'll find echoes of the New Testament uh, that are here, or actually um, not echoes, but uh, previews of the New Testament that are here. In verses 1 and 2, God invites sinners to come to abundant grace. He says in verse 1, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me, and eat what is good, 
and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Here and your soul shall live. And so he invites them to abundant grace. There is no one that has ever lived that has gone beyond with their sins. They've never gone beyond the grace of God. There is abundant grace, and where sin abounds, grace abounds what? Much more, the apostle would say in Romans 5.20. And then he said, not only come to abundant grace, but go after abundant promises. Verses 3 through 5. Incline your ear and come to me. Here and your soul shall live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, the sure mercies of David. And there are other promises from there to verse number 5. In other words, God says here, whenever you come and by grace receive my pardon, then I elevate you to the status of King David. Oh, what a remarkable promise. And so go after abundant promises. Can you imagine God taking someone that is uh, guilty before him and elevating that person to the level of King David and making a covenant with him like that? That's the kind of God that invites you to come. And you can do that at the end of the message today during our song after the message. And then uh, look what it says in verses 6 through 9. Return to abundant pardon. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. And to our God for he will abundantly pardon There's abundant pardon there, and it may confuse you why God could ever forgive you, but look at verses 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways. For as high as the heavens are than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts your thoughts. There's no way I could ever be forgiven. I'm done for. I'm I'm gone. I'm, I'm beyond any hope and help. And God says, that's not the way I think. That's not the way I think. My thoughts are much higher than that. You've got to understand, I'm calling you to abundant promises and abundant pardon. I'm calling you to abundant grace. I mean every word of it. Because God bases all this abundance upon his character and not anything that the human may do. This is how God is. And you can meet him today in Jesus Christ. Well, these are the desires that God has for sinners. He wants them to come to abundant grace and go after abundant promises, return to abundant pardon. Now, how does God accomplish that? How does He prompt sinners to turn to Him? Verses 10 and 11, and this is our text today. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. You shall go out with joy and be led out with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress tree, and instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree. For it shall be to the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. God here declares, I've got all this abundance. I want to give it to the world. And the way I prompt the world is I give them my word. Ladies and gentlemen, the book of God is sufficient to turn souls to him. The book of God will prompt hearts today. In fact, he's doing that today. Your heart is stirring. 
it is moved. You want abundant promise. You want abundant pardon. You want abundant grace. And God is stirring and moving on your heart. It's not going to take much more to get you to come to Him. God does this because His Word is sufficient. It's adequate. It is the powerful Word. And, and there are three things that make it powerful that are found in this text. First, I don't know if you noticed in verse 10 or not, but first is its plainness. It's plainness. Now, there's a $400 college word that uh, we use in theological circles that um, we pronounce purposcuity. I'd rather use plainness because purposcuity is not plain, and that's the point of verse 10 and 11, okay? So it is plain. It is plain. Look at verse number uh, 10 here. And as you're looking at verse 10, that reminds me of uh, Randy that showed up at the doctor's office and he went to the desk of the receptionist and said, I've got shingles. Oh, she said, well, head on back here. And a nurse escorted him back to a weight machine and she said, take your shoes off. And uh, he did. He sat down, another lady came through, another nurse came through, and she said, uh, your shirt's too thick, take your shirt off. And she said, why are you here, by the way? He said, I've got shingles. And uh, she said, remove your shirt so she could take his blood pressure. It was entirely too thick. And then the doctor came in. He said, now, why are you here? He said, I've got shingles. He said, okay, well, take your clothes off, and we've got to examine. He did. And he said, you don't have any shingles for you at all. Where are they? He said, they're on the back of my truck. I've got shingles for the roof. <laughs> you know, for words to be effective... You've got to understand them. And even a simple word like shingles with multiple meanings can be a bit confusing. Uh, the word can, just a three-letter word in English can be confusing too, especially those who are just now learning the English language. Uh, you, you can use can in, in three different ways in one sentence. I can, can, a can of peaches. One word, three different meanings. Ladies and gentlemen, look at verse number 10 and look how plain God makes it. Verse 10, For as the rain comes down... And snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, and make it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be. Now, ladies and gentlemen, what he talks about here is rain and snow. What he talks about here is simple water. Does it get any more simple than water? Anything in the world. God takes something as complex, as majestic, as wonderful as His grace and pardon and promises and uses something as pedestrian and ordinary as water to communicate to His people. I, you know, and water's not a very difficult thing to understand, is it? Oh no, when, when water comes down from the clouds to the earth and touches the ground, well, the ground is wet. If it touches you, it's wet. Every one of us has had that experience. It gets wet. And, and then upon the ground... The earth is nourished. And that's what he is saying in here. In other words, rain comes down and it nourishes the earth. It makes everyone wet. You know something? When God wants to say something important like he is today through his word, when God wants to say something important, God says it simply. And he oftentimes, Dr. Chris will observe, says it in one-syllable words. Oh, I remember when I was a boy. I was not raised in church. Christmas was never about Jesus. Easter was never about His resurrection. We never prayed. We never read the Bible. My parents taught me right from wrong, but that was the extent of it. Made it very frustrating because we had something of a secular legalism. And uh, I kept all the rules. I'm still a rule keeper, but it was very, very frustrating. 
and very discouraging, and the future was very hopeless. But um, somehow or another, I found out about this little church around the corner from my home in Houston, Texas, and they had a Wednesday night program. It was an Assembly of God church, and their program was the Royal Rangers. And if you came like several weeks in a row, they would give you a uniform. Now, I didn't know anything about Ernest T. Bass, but I had a uniform, and it was the most marvelous thing in the world. And they gave us a little manual and a booklet, and the first verse that we had to memorize from that was John 3.16. And there, as a result of teaching from some godly laymen, I learned John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And I thought to myself, how wonderful. God has love. There's a God, and He loves, and He loves me, and He demonstrated that through Jesus. And if I will trust Him, I can have this thing called eternal life. I can go to heaven, and I'll not perish. Ladies and gentlemen, it didn't take 10 minutes to understand that verse as a little unchurched kid. It didn't take any difficulty at all. And here I show up with mangled hair in many ways. By the way, when my hair fell out, it improved my looks. It didn't make them worse. I'm one of the rare individuals in life that that's ever happened to. They're not all that great now, but they are better than when I had hair. I never took a school picture that was ever worth keeping. And uh, because of that, that nasty hair, that crazy hair. But anyway, I showed up that way with mismatched clothes, just as poor as we could be, poor hygiene, poor diet, everything else, a home racked by alcoholism, and I showed up at that church, and they taught me John 3.16. I carried that little booklet home. I looked over that verse over and over again, and in moments understood the love of God. Well, you know, kids that uh, don't have parents that go to church bounce around from church to church usually. And uh, in a couple of years, I bounced over to a new church, a church plant in our neighborhood called Victory Baptist Church. And I thought, what a cool name. I played a lot of baseball, and I thought, wow, that word victory is great. I want to go to a church like that. And the pastor and his wife would come by, and they would pick me up and carry me in their VW van over to the Victory Baptist Church. And one Sunday morning, the uh, pastor's wife was our Sunday school teacher, and she shared with us Revelation 3.20. And it says uh, that Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hear my voice and open the door and let me in, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Now, there's some cranky people that argue that's not evangelistic, and it certainly is. Of course it is. Well, he's speaking to our church. He's speaking to lost church members is what he's doing. And he says, if you'll let me come. Now, imagine that. The church is so lost and so outside the will of God Jesus is knocking on the door to get back in. That's what they've done to him. So that is very evangelistic, and it's personal. And so Jesus stands at the door, and he knocks. I learned that Jesus was intervening in my life. Jesus was present. Jesus was trying to get my attention through the Word, and through the Sunday school lesson, and through prayer, and through baptism, and through the pastor's preaching. So Jesus was standing at the door of my heart and my life and knocking. But my heart was dirty. But there was a throne room in it, and I was sitting on top of it, the Sunday school teacher told me. And she communicated that Jesus was knocking on the door of my heart to get inside and to clean it up and to be a friend with me and me with him. And if I would simply open that door by faith and let Jesus come in, he would make everything clean and he would make everything right with God. 
Well, ladies and gentlemen, it didn't take much to learn that. I can understand that kind of thing. Ladies and gentlemen, the Word of God is as plain as a door, love, and rain. And when God wants to say something and say something urgently and important, He says it simply, oftentimes with one-syllable words. Oh, He does that with, um, with a variety of things. Uh, Jesus, the Son of God, come in human flesh. There are all sorts of images used for him. He says, I'm the light of the world. Well, who doesn't understand that? And then he said, I am the bread of heaven. Who doesn't understand that? He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Who doesn't understand those kinds of terms? And I'm saying to you, if someone is resisting Christ and not walking in the will of God, it sure isn't God's fault because he's made it plain. That's the first thing. It's plainness. But there's a second thing. In verse number 11, there is the point. Here's the point he's trying to make. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. There are two things said here in this text about God's word. One is it proceeds from God. The Bible comes from God. Jesus said in Matthew 4.4, 4, a man shall not live by bread alone, but upon every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The same relationship you and I have between us and our words is the same relationship God has with His own word. The Bible articulates and expresses God just like your words and my words, our best words at least, express us. And so, ladies and gentlemen, the Bible proceeds from God. And to have a problem with the Bible is to have a problem with God. Is to undermine His own Word. For a man, woman, boy, or girl to be saved and walk with God, they've got to embrace the truthfulness of God's Word. They've got to trust the Word. And so it proceeds from God. But that's not all. It produces for God. It does. He says, it will not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please. It will produce. Dr. Criswell told a story one time of a um, older man that was in a church uh, that he had pastored 50 years before. Of course, when you're in ministry for 200 years, you've got stories from 50 years before uh, as Dr. Criswell. But anyway, he said that he went, uh, uh, the, um, this older man was a leading man in the church he had pastored, and he said his conversion came about this way. He said he went by to visit his daddy one day. The mother was a sweet member of the church, but her husband, husband was unsaved. He'd never met Christ. He'd never given his heart and life to Jesus. And Dr. Criswell went by, and he visited with his family, and he ate dinner with them. And after dinner, he and the man sat down, and Dr. Criswell opened the Bible and showed this man how to be saved. They sent the boy uh, to his room so he could talk privately with, um, with the dad. And Dr. Criswell explained to him, past midnight, how he could come to Jesus Christ as Savior. And the man said no. And with a broken heart, Dr. Criswell said, he said no. He was dejected. He was discouraged. His heart was upset over the soul of this man. The next Sunday comes, Dr. Criswell gets up to preach. He extends the invitation like we'll do today. And this little son, this 12-year-old little boy in the house that he ate dinner with, walks down the aisle and gives his heart and life to Jesus. And he says, when did you give your life to Jesus? He said the other night when you were at my house, 
when mama sent me to my room, I left the door open and I heard everything you said and I gave my heart and life to Jesus Christ. That is the power of the Word of God. God's Word does not return void. It produces for God. So you've got to remember, people are not saved. And, and let, me, let me preface this and, and take a different route here. We're in a day where many Christians are losing their nerve. They're, they have a subtle embarrassment over the Bible. And they're afraid of giving the world the Bible. They think they don't believe that. That's not where they are. i got to tell you, that's where God is. And, and what I do whenever I find someone that resists the Bible, I don't back up and let them establish the ground rules and start going off into science and history and those other realms. What I do is I just give them more Bible. And I'll say, well, let's talk about John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. What, what, what do you not believe about that verse? And so we start interacting with the Word that never returns void. You see, here's why. People are not saved and transformed and built in Jesus Christ with less Bible but more. It takes more Bible, not less and ladies and gentlemen, you never step onto a battlefield without weapons. And figuratively, this world is a battlefield. This is the sword of the Lord. And so we use it. We use it prodigiously. We use it exponentially. We use it greatly. We use it more. We communicate the Word of God to the world because it is through this powerful Word that God changes lives. Well, some uh, may say, well, I've, I've tried that. And it didn't work. Well, let me encourage you to check three things then. First, check your content. God says His Word will not return void, not ours. Not a human book printed by a Christian publisher. Not at all. It is the Word of God. Whenever I meet resistance, when sharing the gospel, politely and sweetly, what I will do is I will just begin to quote Bible verses. And when I'm done, we're done. And I say, now, are you sure on the basis of those verses you want to say no to Jesus Christ? People don't come to Christ with less Bible, but with more. So check your content. Make, your, make sure you're not merely sharing your opinion. That might help at times. And make sure that you're not merely sharing an author's opinion, but the very Word of God. Check also your audience. Check also your audience. Uh, A.W. Tozer wrote a book entitled God Speaks to the Man Who Cares God has nothing to say to the frivolous person at all He has nothing to say to the frivolous Those who are careless, reckless, do not have a reverence for truth And aren't hungry for the truth uh, at all um, And so check the audience Jesus said in Matthew 7, 6 Do not give what is holy to dogs or cast your pearls before swine Lest they turn and tear you to pieces and so whenever you find that kind of resistance, be careful how you handle it. Check your audience. It may not be the word. It may be the condition of their heart. But God will move anyone who was humble, fully surrendered to Him. And, and during our invitation today, that's how you're going to have to be. If you're going to be right with God, you've got to be pliable. You've got to be flexible. You've got to be tender before God. And then check your trust. Do you really trust the power of the Word of God? James said, if we don't trust God, let not that man believe he will receive anything from the Lord in James 1.7. We've got to trust the power of the powerful word, and God will act. Now, that's why we are so thrilled about our summer schedule, because starting June 4th, we've got Vacation Bible School. 
and we're urging people to be a part of that. We need 29 more workers, and I want us to fill that up today. We need um, two recreation helpers, four for the babies in preschool, eight guides, five assistant guides, three for security. You don't get a gun, but you do get a vest. Uh, floaters, we need four of those, and three for snacks, and I want that position, Matt Bartlett, wherever you are. I want the snacks, okay? That is a happy time and a fun time, and when you leave today, there are going to be tables at the exits giving you the opportunity to sign up for Vacation Bible School, a powerful ministry. So whenever you run into resistance, check your content, check your audience, check your trust, but do not check God's timing. Do not check God's timing. When someone hears the gospel, God expects them to turn to Jesus immediately. Mark 1.15, Jesus came preaching the gospel of the kingdom, saying the time is fulfilled. Time's fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand, not the next county, not my knee, but at hand. Repent, present, active, imperative, and believe, present, active, imperative. Two commands, now repent, now believe in the gospel. 2 Corinthians 6.2 says, now's the acceptable time. Behold, today is the day of salvation. Now, you don't hover over and you don't harass people when they resist the gospel of Christ. What you do is that you simply share the word and you respect their freedom to make their decision before God. But you do what you can gently and tenderly to urge them to repent because now is the acceptable time. Verse number 6, look back at that at Isaiah 55. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. God does not promise another opportunity after today. This is it. You've got to approach it as if this is the only opportunity. And so, uh, th there's the point. But there's a third thing in this text, and that is the promise. That is the promise. The promise of coming through reminds me of the student who didn't do his homework, and he met his teacher after the class, and the teacher said, where's your homework? He said, it's still in my pencil. You know, when I was younger, I wish I thought of that. Actually, my teachers were mean. I, I, you know, I probably, it's probably good I didn't think about that. Uh, but uh, God doesn't make silly statements like that. God, where's your promise? Well, it's still in my pencil. God doesn't do that. God gives definable, measurable, specific, dateable promises. You can tell when God's fulfilling a promise. Verses 12 and 13 indicate those. There's a promise of liberation, the promise of liberation. They're in captivity, and he promises you will go out with joy. Not only will you be released from captivity, which is detailed, measurable, and specific, but you're going to go out in a certain way. You're not going to go out as if you're coming out of a prison, skulking in shame and embarrassment about your incarceration. You're not going to go out as if you're leaving a funeral home, weeping and brokenhearted. You're going to go out with joy from your captivity. And so there's liberation. Then there's celebration. You'll be led out with peace, and the mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you. And it's going to get so thrilling, all of creation's going to be trembling with the anticipation of the great day of God that even the trees of the field will clap their hands. There's celebration. There is a day of celebration that's going to surpass any day you've ever experienced in all your life. You haven't even touched the hem of the garment of joy that God is going to bring one day. Now, I know you've had a good time. 
I know you, you appreciate having received Jesus as Savior. I, I know you've appreciated God applying His grace to you when you fail. I know you've had a great joy with the birth of children and the marriage of, uh, and, and weddings and those things. I understand. But you've not even touched the hem of the garment when it comes to the joy of Almighty God that is described here in His Word. There's a great day of celebration that's coming for all the children of God. Liberation, celebration. Then, verse 13, look at the transformation. Instead of the thorn shall come up a beautiful cypress tree. And instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree. In other words, God is going to remove thorn, thistles, and briars and replace them with great, magnificent, global beauty, unlike you've ever seen anything before. What trillions of dollars from the EPA could not accomplish in our nation or others like it around the world, God will accomplish with the second coming of Jesus Christ. Oh, it's going to be a beautiful day. Isaiah 35.1 says, The desert shall blossom like a rose. Can you imagine a desert coming so alive? It resembles a whole orchard of uh, rose bushes. That's what it says here. Transformation. Oh, there's more. And it shall be to the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Finally, sweet church, Jesus shall get the praise and the position and the honor he has so rightfully deserved from all the human race. Finally, he shall get his due. And his praise, the thanksgiving, the honor shall be according to his name. It will finally match his name. Jesus will have an exaltation unlike he's ever had anything before. These are tomorrow's headlines given to us today. A great explosion of fireworks, if I can put it that way. Now, Vance Havner said that we need to be real careful about something. And so often, what we end up doing is that we take God's mountains and make them molehills. And that's not what we need to do at all. Not at all. Uh, I know some people make a mountain out of a molehill, but too many of God's people make molehills out of mountains. And God says, let your heart risk, let it stretch, let it trust. God says there's a great day coming, and it's coming soon. This is His promise. I've imagined one day what America would be like if we had done some things instead of others. I wrote in one Facebook post a number of years ago, what would America be today if over the last 50 years no American pursued sexual satisfaction but the satisfaction of spouse, children, and neighbor? If serving others in Christ were the primary ambition in life, if forgiveness was more cherished than resentment and humility more than pride, if every word spoken was prefaced with a prayer, if every Sunday was given to worship, if people spent no time viewing pornography but sunrises and sunsets, if little attention was given to Hollywood and more attention to elders, if the money spent on professional sports was given to churches and charities, if the most compelling word in the American vocabulary was not freedom but service, if we did not live by feelings but by God's word and we trusted it more than our own word, where would we be today? Friends, that day is coming when Jesus splits the eastern sky. It's on its way. And he says, be ready and get ready. I've made a promise and it will not return void. And all the children of God get to get caught up in every bit of it. Oh, how marvelous. Now, I've wondered sometimes, Lord, why should I ever go in to that heaven and that kingdom? Why should any of us? 
When I stand before God and if I'm asked, why should I let you into my kingdom? I've got a real simple answer. It may not impress some, but I'll simply say, well, Lord, you promised me for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Lord, I'm just counting on you to keep your word. That's what you said, and that's my only hope. And Lord, you said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Lord, I'm I'm just expecting you to keep your word. I trusted you. I'm counting on you to keep your word. And then you said, um, to as many as received him, gave he the right to become the children of God, even those that believe on his name. Lord, I I just trust your word. You you said that if I received Jesus, if I trusted him, that God, you would give me the right, the authority to walk around this place like I belong here to walk around as a child of God. So, Lord, if you don't mind, if you'll keep your word, I'd like to get on in there and act like I belong here. God, I'm just trusting you to keep your word. Do you know something? God says if you'll trust him, trust his promise, he'll embrace you. He will give you what he's promised in the first part of this chapter. He indeed will give you abundant grace, abundant promise, and abundant pardon. God will keep his word. Back when I started dating Sherry Michelle, she introduced me to two of my favorite theologians who were named Naomi and Winona Judd. And they have a little line from a song I couldn't get out of my head this week. And I want to say to you what they said through music. I know where I'm going. Do you want to go too? I've made my reservation, and I've got one for you. And we've offered it today. God wants you to have it. This is his powerful word. And we're going to pray in just a moment, and we're going to sing a song. And when we do, we want to invite you to trust God's word. Trust him. Follow him. Believe what he said about the death and resurrection of Jesus. And call on him to cleanse you from sin. Maybe you've done that. You need to follow him in baptism. Why don't you come? God's moving you to be part of this church. He's got a promise for you. Why don't you come? Why don't you say yes to him? God will not fail you. He'll keep his word. Would you quickly stand with me, please, and let's pray together.